we started in this really fantastic, amazing chapter that people have called the inner sanctuary of the, of the cathedral of Christianity. I was in our little inner cathedral earlier this morning. And I was preparing a little bit of communion. I just do the crackers sometimes. So I was there making the crackers. They're not crackers. It's matzo bread. But I put it all together, and I was walking out to go put it over on the tray over here. You can imagine what I did. I was walking, and I wasn't really paying attention. I was kind of looking around, and I kind of stumbled a bit. And, oh, no. If you walk back there, you'll be walking on some crumbs. That was the body of Jesus. I spilled it out. Crackers all over the floor, matzo bread all over the floor, little pieces. And I thought, oh, that was the body of Jesus. What am I going to do? I vacuumed it up. (laughs) I can laugh about it, but isn't that kind of my life? I mean, I take the precious, preciousness of Christ and I mess it up. My own carelessness, it's a great symbol. I actually think about it. I'm carrying the broken body of Jesus for me, and I just tossed it on the ground and then vacuumed it up. And by the way, take a good look when you take your crackers to make sure there's no pieces of carpet. <laughs> no, I didn't pick it back up. I bring that up because we have been given much, and we are now in this rich truth of this passage where we stand with the Holy Spirit in us. We looked last week, there is therefore now no condemnation for us, and yet we're constantly pulled back to live life like it's not true. Borrowed from C.S. Lewis, it's like we'd rather be in a mud puddle playing when we're at the best beach in the world. Instead of exalting and exulting radically joyful in this amazing truth and hanging out at the beach, enjoying the waves, we'd rather be looking at our mud puddle. So I, I call you today to the truths of these passages, the, the truths we're looking at today in Romans 8. It's so amazingly awesome. It should impact how we think about our very daily life. That's what we're after today as we continue in this chapter. An amazing, amazing chapter full of assurance for us of what reality actually is for the Christian. So I want us to loosen our hearts to trust in what God has done and is doing in us, not discounting what the Bible actually says reality is. That means we're going to have to think a little differently about suffering. That means we need to be settled that glory is ahead of us if we believe in Jesus. It's about the spirit of life. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 8. We ended last week in verse 13. I'd like to pick up in verse 14. And Paul writes this. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We've walked through and started with the spirit of life that he first referenced in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. And then he went off how we're not under the law, and yet we continue to sin. And so we see our sin, and we get sad at it. We do what we hate. Who will save us, even as Christians, from this body of death? Thanks be to God, he said, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's him that does it. And so we looked last week at this spirit life. No condemnation for us. What does the Spirit do for us in daily living? What does He do for us as we live? What's the truth, the reality that we look at everything through? Well, look, all who are led by the Spirit of God, that's not, make sure you follow, that's look, the Spirit is there. He's indwelling in us. This makes us, verse 14, sons of God. Children of God, except the word there isn't a little child. It's like a, it's the full adult child piece. You make it, you're an adult child of God. You're not a little tiny baby with the spirit. You're an adult child of God. So what the spirit does is it witnesses to that, right? So we have in us right now, you and I, you've got this. A spirit in you that witnesses, tells you, constantly testifies to the truth that you are a Real, full-fledged son, daughter of God. Right now. Points to the glory of who we are, the, the truth of it. Not, it says in 15, right? You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So th- that's, that's a reference to what, what are we on our own? I think of God, and I want to please God, you and I do. And we think, hey, what I'm going to do today is please God, and I try and work at it, and I start to work at it, and I miss. And so if I'm under the law, I, I'm, I'm bound then to these things that I don't actually do. And I, there's fear there. Oh, no, judgment's coming on me because I didn't do what I needed to do. I didn't receive that spirit. Back into fear. There's good fear of the Lord that's awe. There's bad fear of the Lord that's certain judgment. And when we base ourselves out of out of standing, trying to earn favor with God, and Israel was like this in the Old Testament, we saw much of the time. They didn't want to come into God's presence. You remember there in Mount Sinai, and Moses is going up to God, said, Moses, you go talk to God, and then come back and tell us. And the text says, because they were afraid. That kind of fear, not relationally connected to God, but simply fearful that anything they might do would turn out to be something they were judged for. We've been saved from that. That's not the Christian. We, it says, have the spirit not of slavery to fall back into fear over every step. Maybe, maybe the lightning bolt will come. Maybe the lightning bolt will come. But actually to be, it says, the spirit of adoption. Adoption as sons. child come of age. So even even our crying out to God, Abba, Daddy, Abba means Daddy in Aramaic, Abba, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. We actually have that kind of relationship with the God of the universe where the Holy Spirit in us, by that Spirit in us, we can call out to the King of the universe, Father, Daddy. 
dad. See, this is why it's so important to have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you guys really think that it's just okay that you stand up and you have a relationship with God, the Father, where you just say, hey, dad? I call my dad up on the phone. Hey, dad, how's it going? Oh, yeah, oh, oh, well, you're walking around the house today. You're watching football. Oh, hey, how's, how's football? Well, we have some conversation that doesn't seem very deep, it but it's us connecting as like, relationally, father and son. And, and I think there's no way I'm like that with God the Father. I just spilled the crackers of your son all over the floor. Each of us every day, imperfect, and yet testifying to us always this truth, this spirit, saying, no, you are. You are the son and daughter of God. You have been adopted into his family. That's this witness piece. This is what the spirit of life is doing. It's constantly testifying to us because we are constantly not willing, wanting to hear it. It's so overwhelmingly awesome. Could it really be true? It knows we are children of God. So when he says there again, the Spirit himself in 16 bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit is bearing witness. The Spirit is bearing witness. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I know you spilled that. Yeah, I know you weren't careful enough. Yeah, I know you should have been more reverent here. Yes, I know this is all true, but you are a child of God. You are a child of God. You believe in Jesus Christ? You're a child of God. The Spirit there telling us the truth and testifying. One of the best illustrations of this is Roman adoption. When he says adoption there, and he's thinking of Roman adoption practices, it was a big deal. It wasn't so much like you were a, oh yeah, boy, yours, you're the adopted one. No, when you were adopted, it was a huge deal. You were the son. You weren't an illegitimate child. You were brought into the family. It's a total family. It's a little bit like what they do now for us here in Washington. You know, both of my kids are adopted. Praise God for them. I can, I can bring out my birth certificate for them and show you. And it's not just that you wouldn't ever be able to tell. We have, you know, people can't tell. They come up with my little girl, Hope, is standing here. And they look and they say, oh, what a beautiful. She has her eyes. And a smile. She does. It's cool. Oh, she has her nose. Yeah, I know. Long thing, huh? Hooked beat that I got. She got it too. That's your kid. Yeah, no one, you can't tell. In fact, I can bring up my birth certificate for Hope, and it says right on there, Hope Thea Swanson. I look at it. Where does it say adopted? Nowhere. They don't do that anymore. Isn't that cool? She's just my kid. That's what she is. And that's a reality where it is true. It's not just a piece of paper that says it, right? It's she is. She is my child. She is. She is. She is. But... I, I just know I'll always have to tell her she is, she is, she is. She'll have she'll have the devil come in and tell her, wait, I'm I'm not as valued because I'm adopted. Not true. Not in the reality that she's my kid, my flesh and blood by this decision and binding that we've done. That's us, the Holy Spirit, testifying to us that even though the devil will come in and tell you it's not true, the reality is it is true. That's the reality. And if we're children of God, then we're heirs with Jesus Christ. 
I almost don't want to say those words. If it wasn't written down in scripture, I would feel like a lightning bolt would hit me. Think about this. You and I are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. That's, you know, what our whole life is built around. That's this little baby who came and was fully man, but at the same time, he was fully God. That forever, we're going to worship him because he, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's, he's the most amazing being that ever has existed. And we are fellow heirs with him. Each, each of us, us together, Guys, if you believe Jesus is the best news you could ever, ever, ever have, your fellow heirs forever with Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the, the one and only Lamb of God, the one who reigns victorious, the one who we will worship forever, and yet we're fellow heirs with Him. It's too good to be true. So I need the Spirit, Holy Spirit in me, to constantly tell you and even use this text to poke at you and say, you know what, walk out of here today saying, I am a son of God, and if a son of God, a daughter of God. This is it's inclusive, it's not gender specific. And, and if that, an heir with Jesus Christ forever. God, if you catch. See, I, Dax, you're not reading that last line. I see the catch right there. Isn't that the catch? Provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified. Aha, you say. I got it. Yeah, that's for people who suffer. I don't want to suffer. I don't like that suffering. I knew that suffering word was going to come in somewhere. They see, oh, no, 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 wait, wait, let me walk through. The Spirit is testifying to you something. Is it true? Are you or are you not united to Jesus Christ? If you're united to Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. If you're united to Jesus Christ, you're united to, to him. We don't have conversion to glory. We get suffering to glory. Because that's what Jesus had, right? Jesus who suffered death on a cross. And then he died. And Now you and I are being united or have been united to him by the Holy Spirit. And therefore the Holy Spirit testifies to us. We are heirs with Christ. It's coming certainly. And yet provided because this is the fact of being united to him. You're united to him. All of him. I only want to be around for the glory parts. But the reality is if you're united to Jesus, you're united to this whole pattern. United to him in his death, in his life. Peter struggled with this, right? Remember Peter in Matthew 22, where, where Jesus asked, who am I? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, oh, good job, Peter. Not exactly those words, but basically. And, and then Peter, and then Jesus went on in Matthew 22 to tell them about the things that, that he was going to suffer. And Peter said, no, Jesus, no, you're not going to suffer. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan, that you would deny the suffering of Christ. The one thing that's going to actually save Peter. And that, so it's good that by Peter 
later in his life, you can see in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, remember this? We did the 1 Peter before we did Romans. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, that he writes now that the prophets of old were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Or he wrote in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Maybe you're with me kind of saying, okay, I get that I'm united to Christ, but why does that mean I have to accept suffering and glory? I really don't want, can we just leave out the suffering part? And when you do that, you actually miss the actual thrust, the actual themes of the Old Testament that point to Jesus. And we are participating and wanting our whole lives to reflect Jesus. And so when you read the Old Testament and what you start to see are themes over and over of suffering to glory. Let me give you just just a few. Massive theme. Suffering followed by glory. Remember remember Hannah for Samuel? did for Samuel. Hannah, who would go to the temple, and she would what? Weep. Cry. Why would she cry? Because she didn't have kids. She was barren. And she suffered in barrenness until such time as God decided to give her a son. Suffering to glory. Sarah did that. Manoah's wife did that. Israel is portrayed that way in Isaiah chapter 53, of suffering and barrenness, longing for children, and then the Lord will come and give children. And so you see this that, that theme, suffering and glory, in barrenness to birth. You see the Davidic king in, in Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 and Psalm 5, talking about going to sleep, worried and, 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 and having, not worried necessarily, but oppressed by enemies. And in Psalm 5, he's going to awaken to glory. Sleep. Awakening from sleep. You see, you see people struggling with hunger and with thirst and with sickness. You see Israel in the wilderness telling God, we, we're suffering, we're suffering, we need help. And then God giving them water through a rock. Or in Exodus 15, very interesting. Bitter waters, and they're suffering. The bitter waters, they're bitter. So he takes some, some wood there, and, and, and the water gets sweet so they can drink it. Revival from hunger. Same sort of idea, right? There's suffering going on, and then glory comes. Deliverance comes. It's coming. There's this thing ahead, and, and yet there's experience right now, even for God's people, where they're experiencing suffering. It's, it's all over at it that way. Deliverance through judgment. Look at Noah. Noah. You guys know Noah, right? Noah's Ark is one of our favorite stories. Noah builds an ark and takes him a hundred years while people are laughing at him. But then finally the waters come. But Noah's rescued. How is he rescued? He's on an ark with stinky animals for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, I know you guys really like animals, some of you. Is he ever really going to be rescued? Think if you're going on that ark. Think with me for a minute. Here you go. You're going on that ark. You're stepping into this big boat. And then rains boy up. And the lands are gone. And you're floating around on this boat. Forty days it's been raining. Okay, I'm ready to get off the boat. Nope. Stay right there. And the 
elephants are fighting again. And they smell, and you got to take care of them. Or is this ever going to end? What's going to happen? So you see the suffering. There's actually stuff happening before he gets rescued. And, and finally the boat comes to land. He sends the dove out. They're still waiting. When is it going to be? I wonder if we'll ever see land again. And finally here comes the, 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 the dove with the, with the branch. Oh, it's coming. And finally dry land again. There's Daniel. Daniel. Why would he ever suffer? Oh, yeah, well, he's praying to God. And so they throw him in a lion's den. Now, I know that the lions didn't, the angel of the Lord closed the mouths of the lions, but he's still sitting there looking at hungry lions all night long. Lord, please don't make them hungry. Okay, I wonder how much longer the sun coming. I'm out of here. Maybe I'm never out of here. What happens? He's suffering till glory. He's rescued. The Lord does rescue him. But but over and over, God's people put in places where they suffer and then deliverance happens. Whether that's release after imprisonment, return after exile. There's a raising up of fallen tabernacles. There's these pictures all over of things that are suffering, real wrongness, and then get delivered. Now it's made explicit in the New Testament that these things point to Jesus Christ. That he suffered unto glory. And thus you have, as we just read in First Peter, or, or in Hebrews 2.9, I, I put this one on your outline. It says, says this, but we, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, suffering to glory. Wow. Now we're partakers, Ephesians chapter 3 says, in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now the Holy Spirit is actually in us Gentiles, and we get to see, we get to participate in this amazing picture of Christ and indeed be united to Jesus and the Holy Spirit testifying to you and me just this morning as we read in Romans. Look, you're children of God. Yeah, you're children of God for suffering unto glory. Really, when I say that, that should do nothing to us in terms of our excitement, our passion, our wonder, our awe. And yet it does. You know why it does? We hate suffering. I know I've sat with Counsel lots of people in this position. Sat down with people who are maybe even have cancer. They're going to die, they think. Sit down, and what do you think they say? I, I really don't want to die. No. They usually say this dying's okay. Just don't let me suffer. Just, just don't let me suffer. I, I don't care about the. The dying part, I trust that I'm going to go to heaven. I just don't want to suffer. And yet, now we have the Holy Spirit through the hand of Paul writing, Oh, this is good that you get to be united to Jesus. And I'm testifying that you are sons of God, provided you suffer with him in order that you might get to glory. I need help. I think you need help with this to see what a wondrous thing it is. We need to suffer and get to in Christ. Let's look what Paul actually 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay, here's the first piece to help us with the suffering and glory that he's testifying that we get to do. One is, remember, as we even talk about suffering, it's not even worth comparing to the glory. It's not even worth comparing. Hold that in your mind as we try to understand why we need to suffer, which will help us with actually suffering. So here, for the creation waits, verse 19, with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay, here's the second piece help us as we think through these things. Say the second piece is, God's done this. We know that how things are now, God did it. He subjected all of creation, all of it, it says, in hope. Hope for what? Because it was worth it to God to obtain our freedom. Hope that all creation will someday be as this freedom that the children of God have, this freedom that we've now tasted because of the spirit of life that has come in and testifies to us that we're really sons of God. You see, all creation longs for that. And God subjected all creation to futility. This helps us understand what suffering is. When when it says suffering to glory, and so I automatically think, oh, what? Paul's thinking of when he writes that is that, that we need to suffer to glory, meaning we need, we're going to suffer persecution at the hands of people who hate Christians in order that we might have glory. That is not what he's saying, right? Because he's saying, look, God put all creation to futility. This is talking about how the world still is full of sin. And you are too inasmuch as you're a created being here on earth. We struggle here with suffering. What's suffering? Our sin. What I do that's not right. My carelessness in, in, in not holding on to those communion elements rightly. Dax! Ah! Futility! Sin of other people on you. That things didn't happen as they ought to have happened. Man, they were not right to me. Oh, so wrong. All creation not working. You know, things just don't work as they ought to work. Entropy happens. Things break down that shouldn't break down. The, the, I, I plan something and then random chance seems to happen. And life doesn't go on as it should. And things aren't set in a plan that works rightly, it seems like, to my mind, under For we know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, we're in this thing where the Spirit testifies to us that is true, but we're waiting still for it. 
it puts us in this precarious position for our own mind and our own thinking because we're in this, some people call it the already not yet, right? This period of time where it is true that we are entirely sons of God declared by the Spirit. We've got God's own Holy Spirit in us called the Spirit of Christ. Whoa! At the same time, we don't see ourselves here that way. Many of us get caught here. Because what we do is we look at ourselves and say things aren't what they should be. And instead of that driving us to our knees to pray, we get discouraged and sad and down. Start thinking, okay, I gotta get to work to make it better. Me. And what you're trying to make better is something that God Himself says, I subjected creation to futility. They're waiting for something. What are they waiting? They're waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, all of them. I'm really glad God did this. You should be too. I'm really glad God subjected everything to futility, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, because the sons of God includes who? Us! Just think if God had said, okay, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to subject, to to allow sin to occur, and I'll be patient with sin, because I'm waiting for people to know Jesus, but I will stop in 1981, the year before Dax became a Christian. I would be in hell. Just think how awesome it is that God waits for people to know him. And that it's worth it to God that life doesn't go well as God intends in some perfect heaven in order that people might come to It's planned. I'm not saying he's waiting and not acting. Oh, no. But even us waiting for something that hasn't fully happened, our adoption that all can see blazing in light, that, that, that this, where I'm not perfect, and I even hate some of the things that I do because I see myself sin, and I, I repent, but I hate that I'm caught, and I sin, and I cry. I hate tragedy. 20 little kids, six and seven year olds, killed in Connecticut. Tragedy. Horror. Life doesn't work. That that should never happen. And yet God, yet God, willing to let creation not work correctly in order that the sons of God wants to obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. The creation is the pains of childbirth. It says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. See, th- this, is, this is why we know. This is why it's important that we don't see. If we saw it, If what happened was you got converted to Jesus Christ and you put your faith in Jesus and all of a sudden a blaze of light came down from heaven 
now what you saw was a shining being versus what you were before was a middle-aged, plump doctor. Whoa, look what happened. I think I'll try on that. Sure, give me a writer. You wouldn't actually need belief and hope in the coming Christ. You wouldn't actually have a depth of faith in Jesus. You'd just be like, I want what he has. Sure, hey. Better to be a blazing being of light than a, the alternative. But, but, but that's not what's happened. We actually have this faith and therefore have an indwelling spirit that, that is reliant on faith. And, and faith is very close to hope. Hope is wanting things you don't see and knowing truth about something you can't see. And so we're living in this time right now where we know a truth. And it's through this Bible, it's through this chapter even, that we have the spirit of God in us. I cannot look at you. Oh, there's my friend over there. Let's see. Oh, yeah, he's got the Spirit of God. Whoa. Wow. Blazing light out of his heart today. I can't see it. I have to believe what the Bible says that we have the indwelling Spirit. I have to believe what the Bible says that even though there is evidence to the contrary around me in these tragedies, in sin on me, in my own sin, even though those things are there, that I know a truth that impacts me more deeply. It's this Bible. It's the promise that he who began a good work in me will complete it. That the one who says he's preparing a place for me, he really is. We all live in this already not yet reality. So, so we don't look at the horror of the world and think God doesn't care. We don't look at the sin of our lives and think, ah, I'm done. I was okay until I spilled that tray of matzah bread. The body of Jesus, I just spilled on the ground. I should be done. We wait for the promise and we wait with patience, it says, because we believe the truth. It's hard to be patient. Maybe the hardest, because of my sinful self, I don't get better. I see difficult times. I scratch through each day. I see the broken relationships that I help make. I don't see overwhelming fruitfulness in my life. I see fruit of the Spirit. But, oh, I know things could be so much better. What helps me? Verse 26 helps me. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's radical depth here. We don't even know what to say to God, the God we say dad to. Dad, uh, even on our best day, here's the Spirit groaning, interceding for us with deep groanings. I think I know. So what do you mean I don't know what to pray for? I know. I pray for a new car. No. I pray for my child to come to know Jesus. How about that? I pray for the right things. What do you mean, Dax? I'm praying for good things. Yeah, but you don't even see yourself rightly. You need help. Well, what do you need? I don't know exactly what you need, but I know who does. The Holy Spirit of God does. And he's in you, and he he intercedes for you with God. Groanings that are deep, things that you really do need. Oh, that you don't even realize sometimes, maybe all the time. 
groanings too deep for words. Oh, and how much assurance can we take from this? Here, we're Christians. Here, I put my faith in Jesus. Here, am I going to pray right? What should I say? How should I pray? What should I do? No, I've got the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and He's interceding for me. I wonder if God will listen to His Spirit. who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Don't miss this really fun verse. You see it. So, well, what do you mean? No. God, he's the one who searches hearts. So God searches hearts. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. So in case you might think, oh, the mind of the Spirit, I'm out. He's telling God. God searches hearts and he sees and he knows what's needed. And then the spirit is telling him what's needed. And so there it says, the emphasis is actually on according to the will of God. So you have this. He who searches God knows what the mind of the spirit is. Because according to the will of God, the spirit intercedes for the saints. The spirit says exactly what God's will is for you to God. And God acting, giving you exactly what you need. Wow. What a picture of assurance for us. Where am I in this picture? Receiving it. Right? Holy Spirit interceding for me. God, according to the will of God, is interceding. And so God, who knows the hearts, responding to the intercession of the Spirit for me. For me. For us. And that's why verse 28 is there. That's why this fantastic verse that so many of us love, we know. This is why we know. Because the Spirit himself is interceding with God the Father. And they're, they're that tight. And they're, they're talking about us and what we need. And, and, and he's saying groanings for us. We don't even know what to say. And so therefore, Romans eight twenty eight, we know. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Those statements there, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, they're not like like escape clauses. All things work together for good. Um, <clears throat> except for, let me just tell you about the escape clause, uh, asterisk number one and asterisk number two, and possibly there's further asterisks to make sure that you read the fine print about all things working together for good for you. No, they're, they're reality, right? Look, look at it. Those who love God, do you love God? Well, by faith in Jesus, I do. I have the Holy Spirit in me. I love God. All things work together for good. That's the statement of fact. For those who are called according to his purpose. Am I called according to his purpose? This isn't like, um, <clears throat> hello, come join me. This is the call of God. This is you saying yes to God in salvation. This is pointing towards you actually putting your faith in Jesus. This is saying if your faith is in Jesus Christ, You've been called according to his purpose. Your purposes may not be God's. This is why we hate suffering, because actually what I want to do is avoid it. What I want to do is not God's will. Often, I would rather just say, hey, I'd rather jump over the suffering part and just be Dax's glory. But no, no, no. God's purpose is for your good. Here we have again this piece where we're pulled back into trust what the Bible says. 
because there's an active spirit in you interceding with God. We know it will work out. This is not blind hope. This is the hope of trusting the one who knows you the very best. And he cares for you to help you. verses today and we'll stop. So here are two more verses very quickly. 29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called. And those whom he called he also justified. And those whom he justified he also glorified. Look, God himself foreknew you. But the emphasis here is on his predestination of you to conformity with his son. Think about this. Here, here's my thought always. I'm thinking, I'm saved by grace. I know that God saved me by grace alone. It was nothing in me. I know it wasn't. Oh, I put my faith in Jesus. I repented of my sin. But I know it's all Jesus, what he did. And none of me, God foreknew me. And then I'm tempted, and Paul knows you're tempted, to make go back to your mud puddle. Now I'm kept by me. So says, no, you're predestined to something. Do you see it? You're predestined to conformity with Jesus. Suffering to glory. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Predestined. God set this up ahead of time, and now the Holy Spirit is inside you, asking God for the right things with deep groanings, because suffering is suffering, and yet ahead of suffering is glory. That's the end of that. So here we are now in Christ, and we're on this trajectory, and it's our will, not saying we're doing nothing. No, you're exercising, you're, you're wanting, you're thinking, you're saying, oh, I, I do, Lord, I want you, but, but I'm scared. Help. If he saved you, he will conform you. As you're taking care of your baby this week, as you're home alone, as you're working at your job, as you're failing in sin that you hate. Look, this this is the reality. We have to believe it. This is so sure for us. We are, our conversion reflects our will. We, we choose to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And God is at work in us surely to conform us to his image. That's what it says. Those whom he called, those he called. He justified, Romans 1.1. Just as if we never sinned, just as if we're entirely righteous. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So certain is this, that glorification is coming directly from justification. If you're a guy that likes theology terms, you should see, where's sanctification? Don't we have to go through that first? It's already been talked about. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's so certain that God is at work in it. He will do it to you. Your job is to trust it. It's hard to believe because I do look around and think things are not what they should be. And I'd like to leave us with that this morning. This is a radical piece. That we have the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing is testifying to us that we are sons and children of God, sons and daughters. If we are sons and daughters, we will suffer to glory. 
that suffering I embrace with my whole heart, even as I cringe away from it in my flesh because I know it's God's will for me. I see it in the names of the the Old Testament pointing forward to Christ. I see it in the life of Christ himself. I see it in in the apostles' writing of what Jesus did and what life will be like for me. I see it in Romans chapter 8. And yet at the same time, I lean constantly, and you shall too, lean on the Spirit, knowing that he's at work to pray, to ask for what you need. And that your, your end is absolutely certain. Heaven's ahead. Let's pray.